Hi everyone and welcome to another Firms Consulting Podcast. So um, based on the um, excessive interest on the ageism podcast, this one's going to focus on older candidates, you know, candidates who are joining when they are in their, um, you know, late 35s, 39, probably going under 40 and so on. And I want to talk about how you manage your career and how you manage the age factor when you join the firm. So let's just um, let's just define things here, right? Age doesn't necessarily being older doesn't necessarily mean you have experience. I think that's very important to understand here. So I think I want to split this podcast into old people or older people, older consultants with experience, and those without experience. Now, if you if you don't have experience, you're usually a PhD. And if you have experience, well, you could be a PhD, or you could be someone with you know industry experience, right? So I'm going to talk about those two groups in particular, because the strategies and the way you come across are invariably different. But before I get in there, I want to use an analogy to explain how you need to see yourself as an older candidate. As an older candidate, you must imagine you are on a runway, right? You're on a runway, and you are a plane, and you're going down that runway, and you, when you take off, you become partner. When you're when you're when your wheels are on the ground, you are not a partner. When you take off successfully, you can open the champagne. You've become a partner. Now, for an older candidate, there is a, there's a couple of differences about the plane and the runway that you need to understand. For one thing, your runway is shorter, right? Your runway is shorter because you don't have the amount of time that another candidate who joined when they were 22 would have to make partner. You know, you, you need to do it in a compressed time. That is the reality of things. You have a compressed time. You you you. Let's assume that you know typically you take um, I don't know seven years on average to make a junior partner and twelve years to make senior partner, right? If you're joining the firm at the age of thirty-five, you don't have until you're forty-seven to make senior partner. I can tell you that right now. The expectation is that you will be faster. You'll accelerate a lot quicker, right? So your runway is shorter. But there's also a problem with the plane as well. As an older candidate. Let's assume you're an older candidate without any experience. You have, the only thing going for you is your supposed analytic abilities picked up during your PhD. That's about it. Nothing else. And I can assure you that an MBA is not going to think too highly of your supposed analytic abilities. So you have your, your, your point of competitive advantage is not superior to that of the other people with even more runway to take off on because MBAs are generally younger than PhDs, right? So you're in a situation whereby it's almost unfair. You've got a you're older, you've got a shorter runway and you've got a plane without any major competitive advantage. Now if you're a uh, older candidate with you know with experience, you've got an equally difficult problem. You've got a shorter runway just like the PhD, but your plane's different in a few fundamental ways. Firstly, you have a ton of experience, but you don't know how to translate that into any language that a consulting engagement would find useful. You don't know. You know how to, I don't know, 
you know everything about you know, Amazon's supply chain. Maybe you worked there as a very senior executive, but can you use that knowledge in a way that will be useful on engagements to analyze issues and focus things? I mean, it's difficult to do that, right? Most people actually struggle to do that. I would say the majority of executives do that. The other thing you have, uh, you know, disability as a as a senior person with experience is you may not know the analytic mindset. You may not have the skills to analyze things. The third disability of, uh, I'm going to stop using the word disability, but the third problem if you're you know, an experienced executive is that you may rely too heavily on your experience, right? But I'm going to come down to those things. So now, just remember this. Older candidates, shorter runway, PhDs, your only skill set is your analytic abilities. And it's not a very big competitive advantage. For the experienced hires, you actually do have some big competitive advantages, even though you may not know this. So let's talk about how you position yourself as an older candidate. Yeah, right. I'll start with the um, experienced hires, with, and then I'll talk about PhDs. Experienced hires never assume the firm is hiring you for your relationships and your ability to sell. That's the worst mistake senior people make. They think that they're being hired because the firm wants them to open doors and sell, blah, blah, blah. No, I'm not saying it doesn't happen. I know Bain has done it many times. I know BCG has done it. I know McKinsey has done it a few times. Well, many times as well. Maybe I only know a few times. My point is that while it does happen, it is extremely rare, and it's more an anomaly than a strategy. So if you come in, in and think, oh, I don't have to do any of the difficult work that the associates are doing, I don't have to learn that skill, my job is just to introduce the partners to, to client and sell work, then you're going to be managed out pretty quickly. Your job is never to sell. You first have to prove you know how to do the work. In a, Work means you have the ability to diagnose issues correctly, build client trust, and through that get work for the firm. Your job is not just to sell without being able to diagnose things correctly. So that's the first thing. For an experienced hire, also it's not about the relationships you bring. Yeah, that's nice, but that's not why you're being hired. You are being hired because you have a certain competency around understanding issues in a sector, which means that when you put onto a project, you should be able to much more quickly identify the problems. You should be able to guide your team and other teams more efficiently. And you should be able to relate to the clients well. Not not better than a partner who doesn't have any of the experience, but you should be able to, with working with a partner who doesn't have sector knowledge, you know, build a very good team where one understands the issues and the other one's backing them up with analytic skills. That's important, right? Now, if you're an experienced person, the biggest challenge you're going to face is you're coming at a senior level, you're managing teams, and you're probably going to be talking to clients more than you know, junior people. So you're pretty busy, and at the same time, you've got to learn how to analyze a problem the way BCG and McKinsey would do it. And that's pretty tough to do, right? I mean, it was difficult for me. When I was a you know junior person, I can imagine what it must be like when you're a senior person and you've got all these other pressures and all these other things happening and you've got to learn a skill set that other people take their time to learn over multiple years. So that's difficult to do. Now, if you're a senior person coming in, I can assure you it's going to be difficult for you to make the transition. You know, if you've got like 20, not 20 years, that's quite long, but if you've got five to six to seven to ten years experience in a sector 
don't feel bad if it's hard for you to transition you know i've when i was a principal and just before i was made you know senior partner i had people who were more than 10 years older than me reporting to me and i could fit them into two neat categories the one who were so proud of the fact they joined at a senior level associate principal principal or whatever the title we gave them and they would you know they would come in and say, I'm an associate principal, I met this client, I met that client, I met that client, blah, blah, blah. But they couldn't actually talk to the client the way we would. They didn't last long. The ones that I liked and the ones who did very well are the ones who came in and said, you know, I've got all this experience, but I want to spend the first six months to a year doing two things. I want to learn how to use my experiences to embed it within the way the firm analyzes issues so that I can know how to diagnose issues at a client. So I, you know, I'd put them under projects and they would go through the painstaking process of learning how to do analysis, learning how to structure storyboards and so on. It's painful for them, right? Because they've got to work faster than other people. They've got to manage the team while they're still learning how to do the work that an associate is doing. And, and if you think that it's okay if you escape. What I mean by that is that you actually, you know, don't learn how to do this, but you still get promoted. You say, whew, I, I, I missed that. I can show you, you haven't missed anything. Because what's going to happen to you is you're going to be a sidelined partner. You're going to be a partner that cannot do anything of value. You, you, you are automatically going to be limited in your abilities to manage teams because you can't really test what they're doing. You're going to be limited in your abilities to mentor people. You're going to be limited in your abilities to add value to clients because you haven't learned the skill on how to diagnose issues at clients. So if you're a senior person coming in, I would spend the first year understanding two things only. How do you translate your knowledge of the industry into helping the firm improve the way they develop hypotheses, pinpoint issues at clients. The second one is then find a way to merge that with the way the firm operates in terms of diagnosing issues. So what do I mean by that? It sounds you know, like you know, bogus kind of consulting speak, but what I mean in simple terms is that when, you, when you've worked in industry for a long time, you take for granted that certain issues exist and you kind of rely on past knowledge to say, oh, this is an issue, this is an issue, this is an issue. You have a top-down view of things. What you need to do is blend that top-down view with the ability to then say, okay, that's what I think. Those are, that's my hypothesis. That's where I think things would lie. And these are the kind of ways I would do the analysis to test that. That's the skill a consultant has. Now, if you can blend that top-down view with a bottom-up view, you are golden. You are unstoppable. In fact, as a partner, that's what we're trying to develop. You know, when I spend all my time in the resources sector, hoping that I learned enough about resources that I can have the top-down view but if you come as a senior person, you will have it. It's the bottom-up view you don't have. Because I learned the bottom-up stuff when I was an you know, analyst and associate and so on. But I'm, I'm picking up the top-down stuff as I deal more and more with clients. So just don't be one of those experienced hires, older people who's just there to sell. Because you're not going to last long. The firm does not want that from you. Now, I'm going to spend more time on PhDs because the people who responded were all PhDs. Now, if you're a 35, 39-year-old PhD joining, I can imagine what it must be like for you. It's not fun. I, I, when I was with the firm, 
PhDs were common, but they did not dominate. They were, they were an anomaly. They were a common anomaly. They were like UFOs. We all know about them, but it's still an anomaly. It's a common anomaly, right? So how do you manage yourself in that situation? I think the first thing is, is not to act like an old person. And I would say don't act like a young person as well. Don't make an issue out of your age. Your age only becomes an issue if you make it an issue. You know, don't say things like, oh, you know, if someone asks you, what are you doing on a Friday or Saturday? Don't make comments like, oh, you know, at my age, I, I like to stay in, or, you know, at my age, I've got kids, I've got to attend. Don't say things like that. You are not defined by your age. Don't define yourself by your age. You never do that. I, it actually irritates me when people say things like that because what they're automatically saying is that, oh, you guys are young, so you can do whatever you want. So you, you're not actually... When someone talks about themselves being older, they're indirectly insulting the other person by implying that younger, in some ways, is less responsible. So don't do that. Even if you don't mean it, that's the way it comes across. That's the first thing. The second one is when you join a firm, no one really knows what you like. They interviewed you, but they don't know you. You have a chance to reinvent yourself. Now, you may be very happy with the way you look, the way you act, the way you speak, the way you dress, the way you present yourself to the world, but I would urge you to relook at that because I have yet to see a fashion image savvy PhD anywhere in the world. So the odds are greatly against you that you're going to know how to do these things. So you've got a clean break. You're joining the firm. Decide what do you want to be known as. Do you want to be known as the nerdy old PhD who never got married or the PhD who dresses like they went to, you know, Berkeley borrowed a time machine and went back to the 1970s and did their shopping. You know, decide what you want to be. My point is, don't just assume the current trajectory is going to be good enough for you, right? The, the third thing is, it's important to know how the firm is going to measure you and focus your attention on those points. The firm only cares in your demonstrated competency, your ability to learn as quickly as possible how to be a damn good associate, right? Or consultant if you're joining BCG. So that's where you need to spend your time. Don't decide, oh my God, I'm 39 years old, I need to get a mentor quickly. It's not the way it works. No one wants to mentor you unless you're intelligent. So you need to focus. Now you need to be absolutely focused and say to yourself, okay, I need to prove to all the MBAs on this team and everyone else two things. Firstly, my analytic skills that is not in a business degree can be applied to business issues. So bone up on your business reading. Just because you're going to McKinsey doesn't mean you're going to make it. Only 20% of people make it a partnership, right? It's a tough industry. That's the first thing you've got to do. The second area you need to focus on be beyond you know, um, your analytic skills is not to be a PhD who needs to know everything. That's the biggest problem with PhDs. When they join, they are enamored with their fact that they have a PhD 
and they worked with someone who was the smartest in the world and they are so good at doing analysis. Now, the PhDs who succeed are the ones who are not who do not get caught into this trap of having to know everything about an issue. PhDs who do badly at McKinsey and BCG are the ones who can't leave their PhD style of thinking behind of, of knowing everything about an issue. Consulting is all about making decisions with incomplete information. Making generating hypotheses knowing 30% of the things we need to know and you need to be comfortable with doing that. So what you need to be comfortable doing as a PhD is generating initial hypotheses to guide your work. That's the first thing. Oh, so that's the second thing. The third thing you have to be good at is simplifying analyses to give you an acceptable answer. What do I mean by that? Well, if I wanted to know the number of postage stamps that was used in the United Kingdom last year. One way to do it is to go to every single house in the United Kingdom and interview everyone and find out how many postage stamps they bought. Interview the procurement department of every single company and find out how many postage stamps they bought. And I could figure this out, right? And of course, you then get more and more simpler techniques that give you the same answer. One technique would be to call the post office and ask them. The other one is to do an estimation on a piece of paper. Another one would be to, uh, what could be other ways to do it, is to work out the amount of envelopes that were bought and you, know, you can work it out. But my point is, when you're doing a calculation, there's an extreme way of doing it, extremely bottom-up. And there are simplified ways of doing it. What you have to be good at as a PhD is to find the simplest way that will give you the most, I wouldn't say the most accurate answer, but the degree of accuracy you are looking for. You, you, we're not interested in you being 99.99% accurate. You can be 70% accurate, but the other 30% is going to take three months to do. We're okay if you left that behind, as long as you have some kind of estimated way of getting there, right? Now, so that's on the technical side. What about the, the soft skill sides? PhDs, I think, get hooked up badly or get, not hooked up, but get really tripped up when it comes to communication and the way they the way they, they engage clients. Uh, there are some PhDs who engage clients well, but PhDs... You know, never say something as a PhD when uh, my professor did this, blah, blah, blah. When you start off like that, you immediately send a signal that you are theoretical. And no one wants to hear that. So when you engage clients, it's better to refer to something the firm did rather than referring to your experience since you actually have none. So, you know, when when a, when a junior person comes onto a project, they always say something like, you know, you, you don't have much to talk about. You're a PhD. You can only refer to the research you've done, so you'll talk about your research. But it's theoretical, right? There's a reason why it's called a thesis and not a fact, because it can be, you know, disproved later. So what you need to do is bone up on similar projects the firm has done so that when you get onto a client site and someone asks you a question, you're not going to refer back to your theoretical work, but you'll say something like, well, you know, in a previous study BCG did, this is what they found there, and this is the way they did this study. So that you're not relying on, you know, just your, your background, which is not granted very weak. Now, 
What are the other things with regards to image management? You don't have to go drinking with all of the young consultants every night. It's not necessary. You're an older person. Everyone you know, knows you have a different way of doing things. But what I would urge you to do is not to define yourself by your age. Don't pretend you're different. Don't act like you're different just because you're an older person. The other thing you want to be careful of is um, is what I call... You know, I'm going to tell you a story here. There was a... I remember there was a lady once that um, joined the firm and she was actually one level above me. I think she was a consultant when I was there. And she wasn't that old, actually. I think she was 32, 28, 32, because I was very young. And she made a big deal about the fact that she was an older person who had more refined... Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Taste, more refined ways of doing things. So what she would do is, I remember once asking her something like, you know, um, you know, as she watched this show or watched this movie, and she made a big deal about saying, oh, you know, she only takes, she only spends her time going to the museums, going to galleries, and reading books, and spending time with her cats or whatever it was. And it's 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 a very condescending way of speaking to someone to make it sound like because she's older and she does certain things she's more refined in her thinking and more mature than the younger consultants so you know don't do that it is something that we do a lot in society where we 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 kind of place this wisdom mantle on someone if they are older and i don't think you want to do that right now that's all principles. And let's talk about some practical things you can do. The first thing that I think you want to think about practically is what are you going to, how are you going to say when you open your mouth the first day at McKinsey when you introduce yourself? Are you going to say, hello, my name is Emma. I studied my PhD at whatever school studying brainwave patterns under the world famous blah 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 no one's in, no one cares no one's interested in fact if you you know if you speak like it you might just put a gun in your mouth and pull it pull the trigger because you're automatically advertising to everyone that you're just a phd i mean granted you studied under a nobel prize winner it was the greatest accomplishment of your life to you know read his notes but no one cares what you got to do when you've when you're a phd is you got to think of how you going to position yourself. So this is what I would recommend you do. Think of a few stories or a story that you can tell people that moves the attention away from your graduate studies. You can just say that, you know, I'm a I'm a, I'm a graduate. You know, I want. In fact, don't say I am. PhDs always says I am. Say I was a graduate of Yale or whatever it is, and then quickly move the conversation to the work you're interested in. Um, a hobby. No, you're already at the firm. You don't have to prove you are intelligent. You don't have to tell them about the fact that your professor and you made a submission that got under the cover of some famous journal or whatever it is. Don't define yourself by your studies. Your studies are over. In fact, you're probably a bad researcher anyway. That's where you left your studies, right? So don't pretend like it's the most important thing in the world to you. When you introduce yourself at the firm, make sure that the emphasis you place is on other things, like your hobbies, like um, your sporting accomplishments, like um, what you want to do, where your focus lies, where your interests lie. Maybe your background in the sense of where you grew up and so on, you know. But don't talk about your studies. Your studies are finished. They're done. Now, 
That's the first thing practically. Think of how you're going to introduce yourself. What do you want people to know you for and what you want to be known for? The other thing is that um, this applies more to females, but I'll, but I think um, you know we have a lot of female clients and readers. Uh, I don't think female PhDs dress up very well. They dress up like they are grandmothers. So if you're a female PhD, the ones that we've had, I have to, I have to dress them. I've got to tell them what shirt to wear, what suit to wear. They even send me like 20 photos, and it's not like one PhD does it. Almost every female PhD we have, I want to see their dressing. I'll make them go to a photographer and take photographs for me. Now, if you're a female who's older and you want to look nice, but also at the same time elegant and confident, I always say wear dresses. Um, it makes you look better, but not dresses that look horrible. Nice. Um, you know, if you don't have the salary to wear, you know, um, um, high-end dresses, uh, things that, you know, form-fitting with a belt, um, dresses look very good. It makes you look elegant. It, it makes you look different. It makes you look stately. So dresses are highly recommended with belts. Now, obviously, if everyone's wearing belts in one office, you probably know they're all listening to this podcast. But I think that's the other thing. When you're dressing determines the way people are going to treat you. Now, if you look disheveled and you just look old, not going to work. So as a PhD, you want to you wanna use your age factor not to advertise to people that you entered the workforce late, but to advertise to people that you have experience. Because if people look at you and they see you slightly older, they don't know you're a PhD. For all they know, you've just this experienced consultant. So what you want to do is you want to move the attention away from the fact you have no experience to the fact that you look like you joined from industry. And the way you dress does that. Right. So that's the second practical thing you can do. Go shopping and kickstart the American or German or whatever economy you're trying to kickstart. The third practical thing you can do is don't just socialize with other PhDs because that's what's going to happen. PhDs always form this club and they always become all clicky and so on. Don't do that. You want to network with people that you find a common interest with, right? Whether that's an MBA, whether that's a partner, whether it's a manager, I think you want to do that. The fourth thing you want to do is set milestones for how you are going to um, replace your core strength. Now, when you join, your core strength is the fact you have a PhD and you can analyze things. But six months into the firm, that must not be your core strength. It must be the fact that you worked for, for four months on a pharmaceutical pricing study. That when you, So when you meet other clients, Oh, you don't just introduce yourself as, oh, my name is Emma, and I've got a peer, and you say, no, my name is Emma, and you know, most of the work I've done at the firm is in pharmaceuticals and pricing. So you see how the, the discussion can quickly change after four months. So that's the fourth thing you need to do. The fifth thing you need to do is think about think about how to examine your PhD in economics terms. So this is something PhDs don't do because there's a lot of value in your PhD, right? For example, let's assume um, you're studying, I don't know, um, I don't, what are you studying? Let's assume you were designing solar panels. You did a PhD in engineering at Berkeley or Stanford or whatever. So most PhDs will only talk about their studies in technical engineering terms in that particular example. I would urge you to think about the economic angle of your studies. Now, the reason why this is important is that if 
client wants to talk about your background you, you can't just blur and start talking about you know the the way you built the alternating current and the whatever else current and how you um, design the wafers on the circuit boards and so on. you're going to lose them but if you can have a way of discussing the economics of your studies you know what is the costs of doing this which markets would find it attractive how will this you know how would your work benefit clients from an economics perspective when a, when a client or someone's talking about you they don't think phd they think wow this person has such a deep economics understanding of this topic that's the final thing you can do if you can do those things you'll be you know you'll do fine and if you're wondering whether these things work these are exactly the things we guide our own clients and these are the things I used to guide uh, PhDs um, when I worked at the firm there were quite a few PhDs reporting into me indirectly on projects and so on I used to guide them on this so follow this advice and you should be fine and as always if you have any comments or questions I'll be more than happy to answer them for you